Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. Not many organizations are brave enough to leverage communities to market themselves. Content marketing is still safer. It's an easier-to-grasp approach, uh, but for organizations that can pull it off, generating leads, building awareness, and making a market, particularly for considered purchases with longer sales cycles via social networks, makes a lot of sense because it's a way for the market to come up to speed and self-educate which can be less expensive than via direct sales and has the added credibility of learning through a peer rather than through a salesperson where it typically takes longer to establish trust. With us today is Rachel Happ. She is principal and co-founder of the Community Roundtable, an online resource for community practitioners. And in this episode, we're going to deep dive into the nitty gritty of community management. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Eric. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, when we um, when we spoke at uh, uh, at South by Southwest this year, I was uh, really blown away by your subject matter expertise in the area of community management. So I, I, I thought, hey, what a great opportunity. Let's see if we can bottle up some of that knowledge on this podcast and share it with listeners. So thanks for taking the time to do it. Sure. And uh, I actually think there's a bigger opportunity in the B2B space than the consumer space in the community side of things. Interesting, uh, interesting. So why? Why do communities make sense for B2B? Well, communities are all about building relationships between peers, um, and the more complex the outcome that you're trying to achieve, the more communities make sense because it's not a impulsive buy. It's a very considered buy. There are lots of um, considerations. There's lots of niche use cases um, that would be expensive for a organization to build out for for a single customer or for a very small niche of their customer base. Um, but peers are very good at helping each other understand um, how to use a complex pro- or a complex solution in a complex way. So, what are some of the what are some of the reasons, though, that it makes more sense, particularly for businesses to sell to to other businesses versus businesses to sell to consumers? Because there's a number of consider purchases on the consumer side, like an automobile <laughs> or a computer. Yep, absolutely. And in those cases, uh, communities make more sense than toothpaste, for example, uh, which is Aaron Strout's um, big example. Every time he says, "Do you really need a community about toothpaste?" Probably not. Um, so, you know, I think the power of peer, like you said, has huge implications for everyone. Um, we trust peers implicitly more than we trust authority figures, um, and we gain trust more quickly. So uh, in that situation where um, a B2B company is marketing and selling to someone, you're exactly right. It takes a really long time to, for, for that company to establish marketing and sales trust with that individual. Um, salespeople have known this for a long time. You see salespeople taking their portfolio with them from one company to the next. The reason they do that is because it takes a really long time uh, to establish those trust-based relationships. And once they have them, they retail multiple products to that same individual. Um, so in that's, that's the fundamental reason, um, you layer on this, this, um, environment where you've got a really complex product, lots of people are involved. Um, you can have a customer who has four or five stakeholders involved in the decision-making process talking to four or five peer decision makers in a prospect organization, and those prospect stakeholders are going to believe those customers um, more than they will believe you because there's no way that that salesperson that's responsible for that account can know that much um, and have that much context to be able to share information 
in a valid way. Um, there's just no, no way to establish that contextual trust. And the salesperson can bring all sorts of experts to the table, but one thing they can't bring to the table, except in the form of other customers, is people that are working in the same context as their prospects. Um, and, it, you know, what can I say? That just has huge resonance. Um, if my customer says, I, if, and I, I would say particularly in service environments or technical environments where there's a huge service component, service is very much of a black box. Um, and it's the one thing that you can't uh, identify very easily through an RFP process. You can do the feature comparison um, and you can say, yes, we have that service, but yes, we have that service. What does that mean? Um, service quality and offering very radically um, and the business world doesn't typically articulate them very well. Some, some organizations do it better than others. Um, but for, from the prospect perspective, that, that is something I'm, I'm not going to listen to the company tell me they have great service because, of course, they're going to say that. You know, it's interesting because um, it seems to me that uh, the stage of the buying cycle might say something about the social network where the conversation would occur. And I'll give you an example. Um, I may go to Google and my social networks to vet uh, potential suppliers in the B2B world and make a short list. <clears throat> but ultimately, the final purchasing decision is probably not going to happen on social networks because it may be proprietary. It may be exclusive, sensitive information. But with the rise of um, these sort of private social networks or, you know, with um, uh, Salesforce Chatter making their service uh, uh, free for a small number of users mm -hmm. in February. Do you think it's possible that late stage purchase uh, purchasing decisions are going to start to move to private social networks? Um, yes, I certainly see that possible. And, you know, one thing that I didn't mention before is, um, well, it, it's great from the prospect perspective to have communities to access. Um, the real reason companies want to do this is it takes out huge costs out of the sales cycle. Um, people pre-qualify themselves at a level m much higher than uh, you do by simply offering webinars or marketing services. Um, I'll, I'll just give an example of our own business. We don't have salespeople. Um, people basically have to be down our doors to become our customers. And there's a certain aspect of that where I say, oh, well, we're probably leaving some money on the table. But there's another aspect of that where... Um, I know the customers that work with us really want to work with us. Um, they're, and they're very low cost. By the time they come to us, they close very quickly. Um, and after they close, they're happy customers because they really want to be there. Um, and they've vetted themselves enough that um, they know exactly what they're getting. So there's no what I call expectation minus reality equals either delight or disappointment. Um, we and, and it starts with content publishing and content marketing, like you said, but it brings um, people into a network and introduces them to, to peers um, that we already work with. And it's just a huge cost savings for us. It's very hard for bigger businesses to go through that evolution because obviously there's a lot of vested interests. Um, but that's the real reason that communities are so powerful in marketing and sales for B2B is because it offloads a huge amount of costs for the company. Um, and it makes customer support much cheaper on the back end and it increases loyalty. And so why wouldn't you want to go that direction um, if you can? So, so what do you think? I mean, do you, do you basically do you, do you create your own social network uh, either on a public platform and it's, uh, you know, it's private, you have to be uh, accepted for membership, or or do you just join someone else who's already built the community and engage there, and how do you decide? Uh, two, two factors. Uh, one, the audience profile, um, and two, the competitive environment, meaning are there other communities that exist already? Um, are you competing in that space? Because if there is a community that exists already and is uh, very active uh, and rich, 
there's no reason to try and compete with that because communities that are successful are fairly sticky, um, and it, it's going to be really hard to draw people away from that. Um, even in the event that it might be a competitive community, if that competitor is doing a good job of remaining relatively neutral about their management of the community and it's more about the topic in the space, uh, they should be okay with you participating at some level. Obviously, they probably won't accept sponsorship dollars. Um, uh, if there's no community in the space um, and customers, particularly when customers are very isolated from each other, communities work really well. I Meaning there's no big conference in the space. There's no other good access point for them to get information. Um, or there may be a couple of conferences in the space, but there's not a, a single consolidated source for all of the information in that space. That's a great opportunity to build a community. Um, and then there's a lot of gray areas in between, meaning there may be some communities, they may not be all that active, there may be some conferences, um, and then it's up to the organization to decide whether they're in a good place to build a community, uh, what kind of community they want to build, meaning will it be a community primarily for their customers about their specific niche. I would warn against creating a community around a product per se, although um, that is an option depending on the company. SAP's community, for example, is primarily for uh, people that use SAP software all the time. So that is a kind of company-specific community that has worked, but they've got, um, they've got a ton of end users who all they do is work on SAP software. And in that case, those people have a really vested interest in connecting with each other because that's their career. Um, so you really need to understand the audience, how they relate to the product of yours that they use, what they really want to connect to others about and talk about, and where your product sits in that conversation, um, and how neutral you want to be about um, your community. Do you want to be explicitly hosting a branded community, or do you want to be hosting a community around a market topic that's very lightly or not at all branded um, and remains very neutral? Um, there's a lot of different strategies you can choose, um, and a lot of it will depend on the competitive environment, um, and a lot of it will depend on um, the corporate environment and um, how comfortable people are with uh, kind of the different flavors of community strategy. As a footnote um, for listeners, if um, you know if you're interested in a, a great previous interview on this podcast. Um, she mentioned uh, SAP Networks. The guy who runs things over there is Mark Yolton. And uh, I did an interview with him uh, when I was researching uh, the, the book. And I'll have a link in the show notes. It's a fascinating case study on how they're essentially making a market for a very complex uh, long sales cycle purchasing decision through peer-to-peer -peer communications. Uh, but, but let me ask you this, Rachel. Um, so how would participation strategy differ uh, if it was your network versus if you were participating in someone else's social network? So if you're participating in someone else's, you've got to be very sensitive to uh, the goal of their organization and what they're supporting um, in terms of the value their members are getting out of it. Um, that That's always the, the two sides of the coin and community. Um, in a hosting community, there's always the benefit the organization is getting and the benefit the members are getting. And if there's not enough benefit for the members, you won't have a community. Um, and if there's not enough benefit for the organization, that organization will cease to sponsor it. So um, that's kind of the fine balance. But understanding that balance when you're going into another community is really critical so that you know where the boundaries are of what you can do in that community. Um, if you understand what kind of value they're trying to provide for their end users and help them with that, um, you'll be a lot more accepted 
um, than if you're trying to eat away at the value they're getting from their organization. Got it. Got it. So, um, you know, that, that's kind of a nice segue for, for an incident or experience that I had participating in a LinkedIn group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, w- would a LinkedIn group qualify as a social network? Um, yes. And to me, it's all about how it's managed. Uh, there's a lot of dead LinkedIn groups and there's a lot of very active ones. Um, and there's LinkedIn groups of a lot of different sizes. So if it's a five person LinkedIn group, that's not really a social network. That's a group. Um, but yes, it could very well be. Uh, the name of the group is B2B Online Marketing. It's a LinkedIn group, and uh, it appears to be a very active group. Um, there's 5,700 members, over 5,700 members, and uh, there are people posting um, to the group daily and having discussions in the group daily. I've been a member for a while now of the group, and I do uh, from time to time – post things to the group and do participate either by liking or commenting on things I see there. I mean, you know, my attraction to the group is obvious um, because I wrote this book with Paul Gillen, Social Marketing Mm -hmm. to the Business Customer. So we've been Mm -hmm. focused on B2B social media, you know, exclusively for the last, I would say, two years. And um, as part of this podcast from time to time, Paul and I do an episode called the B2B Social Media Podcast where we will discuss you know, news items uh, that are breaking in the area of B2B social media. Um, so I had a, a, an episode, and I figured I would post a link to the uh, B2B um, online marketing group. So mm-hmm. um, there's a policy on the group, and the policy is – and I'll, I'll read it here. It says, uh, discussion posting tips. All should be relevant to B2B marketing. Discussion should foster conversation, even if you're promoting a blog post. Webinar announcements go in the promotions tab because in LinkedIn, you can either post to the main group discussions Mm -hmm. tab or to the promotions tab. And then it says we will delete all discussions that are not relevant and encourage members to flag those that are not on topic for marketing or are blatant advertisements. We are committed to providing valuable sharing of what works and what wasn't, what doesn't work around B2B marketing. Okay, so I think it's a, a great policy. So I figured, okay, I've got this B2B social media podcast. We're discussing B2B so- uh, marketing. Um, you know, it's not just me and Paul. There's other people there who are respected. So I post the link. And... Uh, I get a message from uh, one of the community managers. Her name's Tyla Cobb, and she is a marketing intern for the manager or, or the administrator of the group. Her name's Kim Albee. And um, the, here's the message, okay? Uh, Thanks for being part of B2B Online Marketing. This post will be removed because it is a promo for a podcast. Please post under the promotions tab. Thanks. Okay, so I'm thinking to myself, okay, wait a minute, is this a promotions? So I write her back and I say, uh, it's a link to a podcast by myself and Paul Gillen, our new book, Social Marketing to the Business Customer, first title, devoted to B2B, released by Wiley. Uh, The podcast is, is a discussion specifically about B2B social marketing, which appears to be on topic for the group. It's free. It's not for sale. Promotions typically involve the sale of something. Um, I, I thought it was squarely on topic, and I would like to ask you to uh, consider reinstating the link. So uh, I send off this message on uh, LinkedIn, and I get back the reply. She says, thank you for your thoughtful response. Our ultimate goal is to provide useful B2B online marketing content to group members. We do our best to manage the group by weeding out blatant advertisements and promotion. That being said, it's sometimes difficult to determine whether a post should stay or go. In your case, it seems the information you provided may be useful to other group members. I would suggest starting a discussion around the topic. Ask questions and get other members engaged. Then refer to the podcast for more information on the topic. Doing this will ensure your content will not be removed and will also add value to the group. Okay, so this kind of makes sense, right? You're think- I'm thinking, okay, that's a good point. Uh, maybe I shouldn't just post the link to the podcast. Maybe what I should do is ask a question about what's in the podcast and then have a link to the podcast. Um, 
But but I guess even if I do that, the question here's the questions that remain in my mind. First, is posting a link if it's on topic for a group an activity that should be allowed? In this case, it sounds like um, if it was an intern doing the moderation, she might have confused podcasts with webinars um, and not necessarily understood the difference. She may have been negotiating back from there, meaning she made a miscalculated judgment about what the, the form of the content was. So I would give her the benefit of the doubt that she just didn't understand what you were posting. Um, she has a point that, you know, it's better to ask questions. It, is, it, it does lead to more discussion. But, you know, content is a major part of communities. It's part of what attracts new members. It's part of what keeps people coming back. Although um, I would say in a good community, the content help enable relationships and the relationships is what bring people back over time. But, you know, at the end of the day, they manage and moderate that community how they see fit. Um, and, you know, it's always up to their discretion to enforce their policies. So um, I would say, you know, if you don't like that dynamic, um, there's, other, there's other communities. There's always the opportunity to start new ones. I don't think she was being particularly severe. I think there was probably a misunderstanding there. Sure. You know, one of the things that Mark Yolton said in his interview on the, uh, you know, what makes a good community manager is he said, you know, the best community managers are people that are knowledgeable first in the subject matter of the community. Uh, he said, if I had a, a, a social network for CPAs, I'd rather have a CPA than a Facebook or a Twitter all-star. And it makes a lot of sense, right? Because, um, you know, we're speculating whether or not she did confuse webcasts and podcasts, but obviously, you know, those types of issues would be easier avoided if the person managing the, the community was truly an expert in something like B2B yeah, online and I mean, marketing. I, I think you said uh, that she had re reinstated the content eventually after kind of requesting that. So um, the process kind of worked in one respect, meaning you petitioned her and she changed her mind. Um, so in that respect, you know, I don't, I think it's easier to try and be firm about your policies um, and manage those exceptions than to let your policies be, um, be abused. And then you're setting a model that more people will push and push and push. Um, I, I don't think it's a good practice to have an intern moderating a group um, for a lot of those reasons. Um, they, they don't understand the content. They don't understand the context. They don't necessarily understand business um, or the market very well. They're still learning all of those things. Um, you know, I actually think community management is a pretty sophisticated skill to do it well. Um, I think you need self-awareness on your own part. I think you need really good social skills so that you can understand digital body language. Um, I think you need to understand the market and the content that you're dealing with. And then I think you need to understand your own organization um, and, and how to um, gain and keep the support for the community initiative within your own organization. So those are not intern skill sets, likely. Um, so I think that always causes some, I think that's always problematic because you get either people who don't understand the context and are kind of blocking that down because they don't understand. And so there's lots of issues around this negotiation or they're, they're actually too eager to please and they're letting everyone do everything and not, not having the judgment to raise issues when they should. So um, it, it's a really fine line and it's a judgment call and that judgment is really hard to develop. And it's one of the reasons uh, we created the service we did because participating with peers and understanding um, contextual issues from other people is one aspect of understanding and learning that judgment of when, when to moderate and when not to. Well, this uh, uh, situation with Kim Albee's group is a good uh, sort of petri dish for having a conversation. But beyond this incident, my takeaway is 
that, um, you know, velocity is critical. I don't think most people would have sent that note, you know, that private message to Tyler Cobb. They would have just said, oh, I've been dismissed and probably moved on. But I thought, hey, this would be a great opportunity for me to learn something about social networking. And the truth is, I mean, every every step that someone has to go through to engage with the group um, you know, anything that restricts the flow of information, it seems to me, is ineffective and inefficient. So, you know, if you want to keep things moving quickly and you want to really accelerate conversations, um, it seems to me that's the reason why the community manager has to be knowledgeable in the subject matter of the community. Absolutely. And, and you have to be mindful of if you reach out in that way, um, it, it will cause uh, barriers to participation of that person in the future. So now um, just, just the takeaway here. Okay. So, so I, I, I petition her, she reinstates the link. Great. Moving forward. Okay. Now from this point forward, every time I post to the group, I'm, I'm basically formatting, you know, the post as a question with a link. So my question to you is, should community members be required to format posts as questions? Is that an effective way of sparking healthy dialogue? Um, if the question's a good one, I, but I, again, that's a very, that's a very specific thing to a community and how that community wants to manage things. Um, in general, yes, questions are good. They spark more engagement. Bad questions don't, good questions do. Um, teaching people how to ask good questions, um, is a great thing to model. So in some instances, I think she actually did do a good thing, which is she caused you to step back and think, okay, how can I not only post content, um, but engage the audience that is here around the content. Um, and that's generally a good thing. Um, I, and, and at the end of the day, it's a good thing for you too. Um, because you can tell if somebody's actually listened to the content, you can get feedback on it. Um, you know whether uh, people found it valuable or that found the topic valuable, even if they didn't listen to the podcast. So, um, but um, just enforcing asking a question doesn't mean it's going to be a good question that sparks engagement. When we return, we're going to talk about whether or not community managers should abide by the same rules as members. Stay with us. This January 2011, Paul Gillen and Eric Schwartzman bring you the first book devoted exclusively to B2B social media communications. Packed with business-to-business case studies and applied knowledge, Social Marketing to the Business Customer is the most comprehensive collection of B2B social media marketing guidance ever assembled. B2B markets are driven by value and relationships. That's very different from B2C markets. This book's a hands-on guide. It walks business people step-by-step through the process of using social media to find and engage business customers and ultimately drive more revenue. Social Marketing to the Business Customer is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and Borders. Or buy it at our show blog at ontherecordpodcast.com. Also available for iPad and Kindle. So I agree with you. I think, you know, her encouragement to format things as questions was helpful. And, you know, I I was trying to do that. But what I found was, uh, you know, most of the posts, which were essentially links to, you know, blog posts or 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 news stories or or podcasts or even webinars um, were often these sort of thinly veiled questions that didn't seem like they made a lot of sense. Um, You know, it seemed like almost like they were using like we were using questions just as a way of hiding the fact that we were posting a link and um and i saw that sort of across the community uh but then um shortly thereafter i saw a uh, a link actually posted by tyler cobb um which was uh, about consumer marketing and here's the post it says what are the best ways to connect and build relationships with consumers? As marketers, we're always seeking advice about how to build business. We need some good advice. What has worked for your business? Um, 
So I saw that and I thought, wait a minute, this is B2B and we're talking about consumers. So I sent Tyla a private note and I said, hi, Tyla, this, uh, to- this topic seems a bit off topic for a B2B group. Plus, there's a promotional link in the body of the post. Seems like the moderation standards in the group may be uneven. And uh, I didn't get a reply for a while. Um, so I actually sent a LinkedIn message to uh, Kim Albee, the president of Jenna who runs the group. And I said, hi, Kim, thanks for managing the LinkedIn B2B marketing page based on my interactions with some of the folks policing the page. I didn't mention Tyler in this thing. You might want to listen to, and then I gave a link to uh, Mark Yolton's interview, and give some thought to whether or not uh, you've got the right people in place. Novices can kill conversations. According to Mark Yolton, who runs the SAP community, the most profitable B2B social network, the most important thing for community managers is a foundation of knowledge on the subject of B2B. Because I'm feeling frustrated here. I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, she's, she's policing, and she's moving me to the promotions page, and now she's posting about consumer marketing. Um, and then I say, uh, I also said, also veiling promotional comments with questions seems a bit too loose to warrant any real compliance. Just trying to help best Eric. So then I get a reply actually from Tyla, not from Kim. And it says, hi, Eric. I'm truly sorry I missed your comment on my discussion that I created 20 days ago. If I had seen it, I would have contacted you. I'm also sorry you feel the moderation standards in the group are uneven. The post does relate to B2B online marketing because connecting and building a relationship with consumers is the backbone of any good online marketing strategy. Marketers that use and understand the emotional benefits of their product and service will stand above the competition. The link is provided for more information on the topic. I will be gone for the next week and will be unable to respond. I know you've been in contact with Kim. We value your involvement in the group, and I want you to feel appreciated. So I read this, and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. In the book, you know, we did a, a, a very comprehensive analysis of the difference between B2B and B2C marketing. And what we found and it should come as no surprise, is that impulse and emotion are not purchasing drivers on the B2B side. Those are B2C purchasing drivers. On the B2B side, it's about rational thought. It's about accessibility. Um, it's it's not even about price. So I'm, I'm thinking, wait a minute, this person, Tyla, while she seems to be very nice and is responsive to me, doesn't seem to have much background in B2B. So, uh, Or she has a different of opinion that you may think is uninformed, right. but she has a different Fair opinion. enough. So here's the question, okay? Do, first of all, do community manager, managers need to abide by the same standards as the members of the community, or are they in some cases above the law? Um, well, so uh, community managers by necessity need to be the police. Um, now, there's all sorts of incidences online and offline about police taking advantage of their positions, if you think about it that way. Um, it's not good practice, um, but it does happen. Um, some of the specifics of your situation, again, could just be a misunderstanding or a ch- difference in perspective. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily... Th- assume that they're acting above the law or acting above their policies, um, I would say they probably see them slightly different than you do. Um, But I think you're also valid in asking questions about that um, or asking the group about that in a polite way, meaning you could reply to a post and say that, to me, that doesn't apply to to be marketing at all, and here's why. Got it. And leave it at that. Sure. Um, you know, uh, and, and those helpful, those, those conflicts or disagreement in perspective are actually critical in communities because that's how innovation happens. That's how thought is sparked. That's how people learn. So um, as a community manager, I encourage uh, the other community managers that I work with to understand conflict it's positive, it's negative, how to facilitate uh, conflict and its resolution or, or not, um, let bygones be bygones, um, when to ignore that kind of stuff. Um, but healthy and polite conflict is um, 
critical to learning. So in that sense, it's critical to communities. Um, and negotiating that conflict helps everyone learn something. Um, so the, the short answer is I don't think the community manager should be above the law. Um, in the specific instance you bring up, I'm not sure I understand enough of the context to say whether they were acting up above the law or not. <laughs> Um, I think it may just be a misunderstanding in perspective, um, but I think having that conversation openly is a perfectly valid thing to do. Now, lately, the posts from uh, Kim Albee's intern have turned more promotional in format, like the one I originally posted, uh, which she asked, uh, which she moved to the promotions tab and asked me to reformat as a question. So I'll give you an example. And this is one I saw yesterday in the group. Learn search engine optimization from the XEO expert, Steve Wilderman. You need to know more than just the basics of search engine optimization. The catch is when most people get beyond the basics and start thinking about density, proximity, repetition, and everything else beyond the surface of SEO, they tend to panic. So that was the post. And then below it, it says, in this interview, Steve Wilderman, the SEO expert, discusses how small and medium-sized businesses can wrap their arms around search engine optimization. And then it says, watch the interview at. So it's not a question. It is just a direct post. Um, mm -hmm. So the question is, you know, what should I do now? I actually tried engaging Kim Albee. I invited her to this, you know, to this discussion. And I also invited Tyler to this discussion, but, and I did twice and I, you know, for like a week's time and I've received no response. So what would you do if you're, do I leave the group? What do I do now? Well, do you think having relevant, you, you obviously don't think having relevant content is bad for the community because you've posted similar stuff. So your issue is the inconsistency, not the content. Is that correct? Well, also, I'm wondering, am I unwelcome? Because, I mean, I've sent these these notes to try to engage Kim, and I've been unsuccessful. So should I just, should I split? I mean, I don't want to be persona non grata. I think there's some disagreement over perspective. Um, I think um, the issues are kind of a fine distinction for people. So um, when you're, given that you're dealing with an intern, she may or may not appreciate all of the differences in, in the way that they are perceived. I think a lot of it is about wording and how you engage with community managers as well as how you engage with others. A phone call may be a great way to resolve this. Um, asking questions is a great way. Um, versus assuming something like in, in conflicts in community, I always give people the benefit of the doubt, especially when the line is fine. When it's really overt, it's obvious. Um, when the line is fine, I assume that people are not trying, like what would be her negative assumption to use the group as a direct marketing venue? Um, if she continues to do that, group members will slowly drop away. I don't know. So, I want to push back on that um, because the truth is there's no real way to gauge the value of a group on LinkedIn other than the number of members. Um, that's not necessarily true. Um, meaning it depends what the, the goal of the community is. Um, if it's sales or referrals, um, I bet they can track that. No, um, no what, what I'm saying is if you are considering joining a LinkedIn group, the yeah. only thing you have to go on on whether or not that group is going to be valuable is the number of members, whether or not you have any connections in those members and the, the number of posts. Really, it's not until you invest time in the group that you're going to get any firsthand learning. Unlike, um, you know, so like if you think about Yelp on Yelp, I can go and I can get user ratings on restaurants and I can sort of crowdsource to make a wiser decision yeah. of where to get my pizza. But there's really no way to do that with LinkedIn groups. You know, you just really have well, to you, invest the time. The, can you see the membership and ask other members whether they get value from it? 
You know, I've actually tried that as well. Like I've tried posting to those group, posting to these groups questions. And what you find is, you know, unless they're very short questions that don't require that much thought or that much time to answer, they typically don't spark uh, much dialogue. Whereas the shorter questions, which are a little bit more open and subject to interpretation, are the ones people tend to grab by the horns and go crazy with. Yeah, I mean, and that's partly an uh, indication of the size of the group, and that's partly how people use LinkedIn communities, meaning I don't think most people manage LinkedIn communities in a way that really develops rich relationships between members. Um, it's mostly around information sharing um, versus real dialogue um, or, or real conflict resolution. What right. a great distinction. What, that is such a great distinction because I, I think you're, 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 you're right on, and it's something I've been thinking a lot about. I don't know if you saw Steve Rubell's uh, Ad Age article, um, which actually uh, Shell Holtz and Nibble Hobson talked about in episode 594 of For Immediate Release. Uh, but in this um, article, and I actually just finished a blog post about it for, for Scott Monty's blog uh, that I'm going to give to him for a guest post. But but in it, um, Steve basically says, hey, we're, we're um, approaching the validation era of social media where uh, essentially it's going to be about these these private social networks because in our arms race to acquire friends, things have gotten so loud and so constant that it's so difficult to find any value there other than just small talk. Um, yeah, and I, there's not... So I, I think about it in terms of what is the behavior that I'm trying to drive in a group or what is the... If I'm a member of the group, what what do I need to achieve from the group? What am I using it for? If it's very superficial and just sharing information, um, I don't need tight relationships to do that. If I'm, however, evaluating a complex product, I need to know the person I'm getting information from enough so that I trust them, which then indicates that I need some kind of a relationship with them other than I've seen them, their name come up. So, so what you're saying essentially, I think, I think you're confirming my hypothesis, which is, you know, external communications early buying cycle discussions. That's the type of thing that happens in LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. Mm -hmm. But when you get to late stage purchasing decisions where trust and influence matter, those things either happen offline or we may see them start to happen on Chatter or GroupMe or any of these private social networks. Or external jive. Sure. Or sure. any of the, the same. Um, jive is, uh, G-Alliance and Jive has actually uh, done a really good job of taking a relatively dead community that they had for their customers um, and turning it into a pretty rich discussion area. But it's all public. Um, you have to log in, but anyone can. Um, so there, there's something in between the two, too, meaning there's, there's LinkedIn, there's Twitter, there's Facebook, and then there's these semi-public niche communities, and then there's the very private ones. Um, and the very private ones uh, in the B2B space are probably customer only, um, you know. But, you know, Jive actually is pretty open. All of their customers are having these conversations that anyone can kind of jump in and look at. Um, and they get very specific around how do I change the permissioning or how do I brand this page or um, when are when is this feature going to be available for me, um, that kind of stuff. So, um, it depends on the philosophy of the company and how open they want to be about that stuff. I actually believe the more open you are about that, uh, the better you're going to qualify leads, even if it's service-related uh, content. But 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 it's, that's still an external communications uh, function, right? It's not something like R&D, logistics, HR, strategic um, well, planning. It's a support function, right? It's a customer relationship support function. Um, I wouldn't say it's communications um, at that point who runs those types of communities. And product is usually heavily involved. SAP is the same way. You can go on the SAP network and see all sorts of crazy detailed conversations. Um, I wouldn't want to because I don't use their product. 
and I wouldn't understand them. Um, but for a prospect, you can go in and see all of those. Um, and I, I think that level of transparency at a very detailed level uh, helps from the marketing side because the reality of it is your customers have very complex needs that your marketing and sales people will never be able to understand because one individual cannot service all of those complex requests. But think about think about a function like product development. In the SAP Community Network, they have a select group of individuals who are contributing a lot of value. They're called mentors. And the mm-hmm. mentors have access to privileged information. Often they're actually included in product development uh, conversations that are not um, distributed over the wider community because, of course, if uh, SAP's competitors found out that they were developing these products, you know, they might beat them to the market. So there are well, always going IT to be issues, there are always uh, going to be conversations some... that are going to be confidential and exclusive in business. You know, Charlene Lee's yes, book, absolutely. Open Leadership, was about that. So I guess you know what we're waking up to here. I guess what I'm hearing is we're waking up to the age where confidential and proprietary conversations can also take advantage of social, just not in public forums. Right. Absolutely. And, and like you said, the SAP community has all of these closed group areas for co- co-creation and co-design with customers. Um, if you invite customers into that process, they really need to be under NDA because there's IP implications. Um, we work with regulated industries. There's all sorts of reasons to have some private conversations there. Um, it's very context-specific uh, when you can be open and when you can be closed. It's very culturally specific. There's lots of reasons to choose one path over the other. Um, so I think we're going to see this whole range. We're, we see a range in size of communities depending on, you know, if you're doing market awareness, you want more size, not less. So you never close that down because you're trying to get broad reach, not um, not increase loyalty of a set a, a defined set of customers you already have. That's a different goal. Um, so there's always going to be these broad open networks, and you're going to see everything on down to the very private groups with customers because of legal reasons. Final question. Um, so it seems as though you know that determination if you're a business that wants to use social network between proprietary conversations and public conversations is a critical one. Um, Are there any guidelines uh, that companies can look to? Is it always going to depend on the objectives of that company? Um, What would you say to an organization that says, hey, I get it. I want to engage. I want to use Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn if they're appropriate and if my customers are there for external and I want to start using the value of social for internal proprietary privilege conversations as well. But how do I decide which is which? Well, so this is kind of like the ROI and measurement conversation because it's so context specific. Um, you need to understand what your goal is, um, understand where you fit in the ecosystem, um, and use appropriate measurements and technology. Um, again, so if you're looking for awareness, you're looking for broad and open and shareable content. That's what you want. You want more awareness. You don't want more engagement necessarily. You don't want, you just want branded awareness. That's a very different execution path, uh, than if you want to educate prospects you already know. <laughs> or if you want to develop market advocates out of current customers. Um, that's also a very different execution path uh, than if you want awareness. Um, if you want to co-collaborate, that's a really different looking execution path. Um, and, and a lot of this also is contextual to the culture that you sit in. Um, some organizations are much more comfortable with putting everything out there than other organizations are. Um, and so private makes sense for a culture that is unsure how comfortable they are with having everything out in the wild. Um, so it's just very context specific um, on how you choose. There's some general guidelines, meaning the more uh, light 
outcome, meaning uh, the awareness end of the spectrum, is usually open public uh, networks. And as you as you drill down on the complexity of the outcome that you're looking for, or the complexity of the product and the the audience, um, you need smaller and smaller networks of people in more confined spaces to do that. Um, and it becomes more of a relationship building game uh, with complex content uh, than a sharing and open game. Um, so there's some general themes, but it's very hard to be specific without understanding uh, the specific context. You've been hearing from online community subject matter expert, Rachel Happ. She is principal and co-founder of the Community Roundtable. And uh, all this information and much, much more is available in her online resource for community pr- uh, practitioners, the Community Roundtable. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. And um, uh, Rachel, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thanks, Eric. I enjoyed talking to you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.